Sooner Nation podcast, Matt Hofeld, along with uh, Rich DeCray, a special edition for a couple of reasons. First of all, Rich, uh, this is our first podcast with uh, Overtime Media, um, so I don't know if we're big time or not yet, but it's something different, something new. Uh, it's also uh, first podcast uh, in a long, long, long time with the, the Thunder guys. We got uh, typically we we don't uh, we don't lead with Oklahoma City Thunder uh, conversations, but based off of the events on Monday night, uh, we thought it'd be good to have the Thunder guys join us. So, uh, Rich, let you say hi and uh, how you doing? And I mean, go ahead, tell me about the weather in Oklahoma City. No, I'm not going to talk about the weather at all. You know, I've told you this before, Matt, and I'm going to say it again. This was years ago now, but you guys gave me flack for talking about the weather. So I'm not going to talk about that at all. Instead, it's all about this dream of getting a 1986 Porsche 944, just in case you were interested. Yeah, uh, I think they sell those at uh, Walmart in the kitty section. They're called Hot Wheels. Whatever, Um, whatever. (laughs) Zach and Craig with us from the Thunder Guys. Uh, Zach, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having us. Hey, uh, thanks for for joining us, Craig. Everything good with you? Yeah, going great. Especially now that I'm not <laughs> working. All right. Well, let's jump into this. Uh, the Thunder snap. Um, what? Well, I don't know. If, well, we'll talk about whether it snapped their 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 funk streak, but they did win a Monday night in Utah. Russell Westbrook with the altercation with the fan, ugly on all accounts. Um, I, you know the the NBA has ruled. The Utah Jazz has ruled. The fan, uh, in my opinion, his name's not worth even mentioning on the podcast. Everybody knows who he is, but the fan has been banned. This is kind of cool. He's not only been banned for life from Utah Jazz events, he's been banned for life from events in general in that arena. Um, then Russell Westbrook fined $25,000. Zach, a couple of quick thoughts on the incident from your perspective. And then uh, first question to you is, how lucky is Russell Westbrook that he did not get suspended? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm not really sure what I expected. I, I, I fully expected a fine at the bare minimum, and I was hoping for no suspension. Uh, I'd say – He's fair amount of lucky for not getting suspended. I do think that the punishment fits the crime, considering the context of the of what we can assume was un, what was discovered based upon the investigation, uh, the internal investigation by the Utah Jazz. Obviously, we don't know word for word what was said uh, from the Utah Jazz's uh, from the Utah Jazz fan uh, from his perspective. We only have the video of Russell Westbrook, and as soon as the video came out. Um, obviously natural reactions from hopefully anybody and everybody are, well, that's not a good look. And uh, especially whenever he brings the man's wife into it. But my, my next thought almost immediately, and this is the case when any video comes out uh, w- with some type of sensitive content, whatever it is, my, my next thought is, well, what's the context here? Because obviously we only get a little bit of the story from that. So uh, we don't really know what, what happened, what was said beforehand uh, building up to this. But uh, all in all, $25,000 fine is going to be chump change for him, and I I do think he got off the – I think he won the battle here. Ultimately, it started a conversation uh, that I I definitely feel like needs to be had in terms of uh, the NBA and the way fans interact with players. 
Yeah, see, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, Craig, I want to come to you now um, because I know you and I know um, you you like to talk. Uh, you like to talk when you played and, and now you like to talk as a fan. I've, I've been to Oklahoma. <laughs> I've been to Memorial Stadium during Bedlam. I've been to Stillwater during Bedlam. I've been to Dallas, Texas for the Red River rivalry. I've been to Oklahoma City Thunder games. I, I mean, I've been around. Heckling is a part of the game. I mean, I, look, it's it's the game experience. And and, and my, my point is, it was bad. I don't know what the guy said. I I, I don't. And and so to me, that's the question. I'm, I'm gonna throw at you, Craig. To me, that's part of the problem because you've got fake Twitter accounts that are blowing up everywhere with uh, with racist overtones. You've got one guy saying he said this. You got one guy saying he said that. Even some of the comments from the Thunder players who are who are trying to support Russell Westbrook, which I wouldn't expect anything other than that. But there's conflicts and reports on whether this was homophobic, whether it was racial, or whether it was just trash talk. I mean, heckling's a part of the game. It happens. Uh, should he? Should he? Is it? Is would it be better if we actually got the Utah Jazz to tell us what their investigation turned up? What did the guy say? I mean, do you feel like that would make this situation better for Russell Westbrook, or would it? I mean, in, in a way that it could justify his his lashing out or would it if they release what exactly what the guy said is that something that makes Russell Westbrook look even a little bit petty for going after a fan and particularly his wife I I don't think it's in the best interest for anybody to release what what was said because clearly it was bad enough for if they went into this investigation and, and took action on it clearly there was enough evidence there that um, what was said was you know over the line and yeah, I get it. Heckling's a part of the game. Heckling's a part of any sport. But um, there comes a point where it's it's too far. And we've seen Russell Westbrook engage with fans in the past. Um, I mean, Portland, just the, the game before that, um, he was going back and forth all night long. And Russ loves to do that. And so, in my opinion, um, to see how Russ has handled these, you know, these instances in the past, this had to be something different. There had to be something worse there because um, I, I – I've seen the things that he says about his family, his wife, his kids, and to to say that I swear on everything I love, it had to be serious. Russell Westbrook's not the type of guy to uh, just to throw that out there. You know what I mean? So, in my opinion, I I I'm obviously going to take Patrick Patterson's side of things with with what he said was, and I'm going to believe that that is true. Um, I don't I don't think he would just come out and say something and you know ru- ruin his credibility over that. So. Um, you know, I don't think it really matters if they release it or not. Like I said, I'm fine with it not being released, what was said. But um, I do think that you're right with heckling being a part of the game. But it's, at the same time, there has to be boundaries when it comes to that. And, you know, race, racial, racial slurs or homophobic, um, you know, terms, that's, that's in my opinion, is, is not okay. Rich, racism has never been uh, has never been good. It's one of those cultural things that's never going to be acceptable, should never be acceptable uh, but on the same note, neither should violence violence against women ever be acceptable. Did Russ step over the line when he included the guy's wife? Are you in agreement with that? And also, <laughs> um, also, is is this just not? Because look, I, I'm not the Thunder fan, and Rich, I don't think you're a Thunder fan either. So we can maybe see it from a, just a little bit different perspective. Is this just not a situation where you hear it, you're getting paid millions of dollars to be on the court, get over it, and play basketball? 
I think that's one side of the argument. Um, I think there's a completely different perspective to be taken into account here as well. Why do I say that? Because for years now, we've seen this argument that fans have been given too much access to players. While they're on the court, while they're on the field, fans have been given too much access to players. I think we saw case in point when that little kid reaches up you could say he punched him. You could say he poked him. Whatever you want to label that as, a kid physically reaches up and interacts in some kind of way with Russell Russell Westbrook during a game. I, I'm on the side of thinking fans currently have way more access, and a lot of that I get is I'm just completely pushed to an extreme because of the internet. But I I do think fans have too much access to players at this point in time, and Patrick Patterson made an argument as well saying that, you know, look, we as players are, are held to a specific standard and we're the ones who always face the repercussions and the consequences when the fans literally there's no repercussions. There's no consequences. This is a little bit different. Um, we didn't know or he didn't know specifically when he began to voice his opinion, what the aftermath or what the fallout was going to be between this specific person and the Utah Jazz as an organization, or more so as the arena in this this fan. Um, so needless to say, did Russell Westbrook go overboard? I, I can't say yes to that question because there comes a point when someone says something to you that it triggers you because you've just had enough. And to ask someone not to respond, they're human. They're going to respond. And to ask them not to I think that's a lofty expectation from anyone. Yeah, Zach, okay, I, I get that. So, Zach, here, here's what I want to bring back to you now because Russell Westbrook, I, I think anybody who is a fan of the team or not a fan of the team would acknowledge that. We're talking about a volatile guy here. I mean, he can go off. He goes off on players. He goes off on 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 fans. He goes off on coaches. I mean, it's a, just his MO. That's That's part of the attraction to Russell Westbrook, but, you know, we, we talked about, you know, Utah last season in the playoffs and, and his, his thoughts towards the fans in Utah. I mean, that we're, we're remiss if we don't feel like that played into this. I mean, Craig's talking about what, what something different set him off. I, my opinion is what I, we don't know what the guy said, but part of what's different that set him off that separated from incidents like in Portland and so forth, is that it's Utah. I mean, there, there's no love lost between Russell Westbrook and the Utah Jazz <laughs> fans, nor the fans and Russell Westbrook. So when you talk about the reflection of the players, does this, does it, as a fan of the team and a guy who covers the team, Zach, does this make Russell Westbrook look even more volatile than people suspected? Because he has, for all the greatness that he is, he also has that propensity every now and then to to mentally not be able to contain himself, whether it's fouling out of game five or whether it's shooting 33 point shots when he just trying to show up somebody else, does this make him look more volatile or is it just, Hey, it, it happened and let's move on from here. I, I think it's kind of a mixed bag here. First off, let me just say, we're talking about completely different levels of volatility. Obviously, whenever he overreacts to a call or he, you know, hard foul, even the, the flagrant foul against uh, Yusuf Nurkic the other day, you, you know, there was a buildup to that. That I think those, all of that stuff is a separate 
category or at least a different end of the spectrum uh, in terms of volatility compared to something like this. So, for example, you mentioned the stuff that happened back in April uh, whenever the Thunder lost to the Jazz in the playoffs. And, and here's where I see, um, I guess you could say a buildup to this moment, but also why this moment was so different. At that moment, uh, the Thunder had lost the game, getting knocked out of the playoffs. He, you know, emotions are going to be high no matter what. It's one of those mm -hmm. situations where, you know, he's mad. Anybody says anything to him, he's likely to go off. That's just kind of his temperament, and that's who he is, and, and I get that. I agree completely. Um, he, he could definitely control his emotions better at times. So he, he gets mad at the fan back in April for shoving, his, shoving the phone in his face and all that kind of stuff. A bit of an overreaction. Uh, he, he goes on to say that fans were saying stuff about his family, which to me, that's major crossing of the line. Anytime, I mean, I mean as a father, as a husband, um, say what you want about me, that's fine. You bring my wife into it, you bring my kids into it, we're, we're talking another level of stuff. Um, and, and the same goes for Russell Westbrook with the things that he said to the man and man's wife. But, but so, yeah, the things happened back in April. And to me, the situation last night, uh, was completely different. The Thunder were ahead. They had been in control of the game for the whole time. Westbrook was playing really well. He played an outstanding game, uh, hit some ridiculous shots. And so his emotions aren't running high just for no reason. It, to me, I, I agree. He comes in with some of those, those past feelings of playing in Utah. But I think if things had not happened before, if things had not consistently happened, and, I mean, you saw all kinds of other players uh, current and former players speaking up about Salt Lake City playing playing there uh, against the Utah Jazz, that their fans, this is kind of a thing that's become expected. And I, I think that his visceral reaction, how, how excessive it was compared to any other reaction he's ever had, uh, I, I think that just shows that this was really a unique moment. Um, I don't think it's something that we can just easily move past. I would love for that to happen. He pays us $25,000. It's out of the new cycle in a couple of days, and that's it. But the next time he overreacts in the least little bit, everybody's going to point back to this. And that's just kind of how it goes. You have to suffer the consequences for your actions. He says that he wouldn't take anything back. He would have said the same things. Uh, I, I don't really like that. I don't even know if he actually believes that because, obviously, he, he said what he said about the guy's wife, but then in his statement after the game, he even said that, He's never put his hands on a woman, and he never would. So it's one of those things, I, I don't know. He's talking out of an emotional reaction, and then after the fact, he says he would obviously never do those things. It's weird that he, he says he wouldn't change it, but then at the same time, he says that he would never do it. Maybe that's just his way of posturing. I don't know. Uh, obviously not a great look, and it, this is definitely going to be a moment that sticks with him for, I mean, likely the rest of his career. I think eventually – um, here in a few weeks, it'll kind of die down, and then maybe, you know, before long, it's kind of forgotten, and people will one day be like, oh, yeah, that happened. But at this point, it's not a great look for him. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily going to mean anything. I don't think it's going to hold him back uh, with the rest of his career or anything, you know, definitely not the rest of the season, anything like that. All right, Craig, I mean, he, that brings up a good point about things sticking with him for, you know, for a couple weeks, for a month, or even for the rest of his career. Is Russell Westbrook becoming one of those players that if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you can't stand him. I mean, are these, are these type of incidents, are they starting to affect the reputation that he has across the league? Oh, I mean, I'd say it's been that way for a while, um, but it's definitely, you know, worsening with, uh, you know, 
the recent, I mean, I think this is like three altercations with fans in the last month. So, um, I mean, most definitely, but to me, that's, that's almost what Russ wants it to be. I mean, he's talked many times about how anytime he goes into a, uh, an opposing arena, the fans boo him. He kind of, he kind of thrives off of that. And, you know, not that that's super great for your, your character or what people think of you, but I mean, if, if it's helping the guy out, then, I mean, I'm kind of okay with him and not saying the things that he said, you know, the other night, but I'm okay with him engaging with fans. I mean, we look at the Portland game where he was going back and forth. Um, he closed that one out strong, had a great performance. And you look at the Utah game, same thing. He was clutched down the stretch. And so to me, if uh, obviously he's um, a pest to anybody in the league that's playing against him. I mean, he even, he even has friends in the league that you wouldn't even believe that they hang out outside of basketball with the way that he treats them on the court. Um, but to me, Russ is a guy who knows how to turn it on and turn it off in certain situations. And, you know, further talking about, you know, why he acted the way he did in that situation, it's not fair for a guy to, to turn on game mode when he steps onto the court but then have to turn it off when he goes to the bench if the fans are heckling him. Russ stays in that mode until the game's over. And so uh, I know I went a little bit over what your question was, but, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, he's very much reaching that Draymond Green kind of level where, um, if he's on your team, you absolutely love him. If not, I mean, you can't stand to play against him. All right. So Zach, let me throw it back at you. Um, you, you know, you mentioned the the number of players across the league who are, who are stepping in to support Russ and, and, and really it is centered around Utah fans, but it's also fans from around the league. Is there a danger here and biting the hand that feeds you by turning the players into the, uh, against the fans, is there a danger with this, or is that just a little bit of a, being overblown out of proportion? I I don't think that's really a concern, because here's the thing. It, it's not so much a players against fans thing as it is a players against certain types of fans thing. Because right. uh, I, to me, any, any NBA player that has any type of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, decent – I'm trying to think of the word here, decent reputation, uh, no matter what you think about Russell Westbrook, he has a solid reputation with fans. And, and, and here's the thing that goes to prove it. Even after that incident, as he's leaving the court, he does what he's been doing all season. He takes his shoes off, and he's wearing these special edition uh, Westbrook Jordans every single night. There, it's, a, it's a new one every single night. So he takes them off, and then he gives them to a, a kid in the crowd. That, that's like a one-of-a-kind pair of shoes. And the fact that he's going out of his way, does it really, is it hard for him to do that? Of course not. But it's the fact that even in the middle of, of some emotional turmoil that he's experienced, he, he still thinks that, you know, he can do something like that. I think he still has plenty of good relationship with fans. I don't think it, this is really going to damage uh, any type of player-fan relationships because hopefully, I mean, hopefully we can all agree and your average NBA fan can agree that something has to change because that guy and potentially his wife, the interaction that happened there, that really ruined uh, what, what I would have considered a really good game. It took the focus off of the performance of the individuals. And it, it, it made, I mean, I mean, we can even, we can look to our website and how popular the post has been about, about the altercation. Right. That's been the run of the mill. You look at the news cycle today. I couldn't turn on the radio without hearing about it. I was, you know, I was glued to Twitter all day because I'm looking for more and more information on it. Fans, People in general thrive on drama, and so when this kind of stuff happens, yeah, it's exciting and everybody talks about it. It's not a good look, though, and when it, what it all comes down to is safety, uh, not just 
not just player safety, but you're also talking about fan safety. God forbid we ever have another malice at the palace type situation. Uh, I, didn't, I don't think this was anything near that. Right. But the thing is, as long as certain types of behavior are allowed, then, you know, the next guy is just going to push it a little bit further. The next guy is going to push a little bit further. And then before long, we've got, you know, beer being thrown on the court, hitting players in the head, and then they're jumping in the stands again. And we, we've got that situation all over again. It's definitely not something we want. And I think as a fan, as a ticket holder, if you go into an arena and you don't understand boundaries, maybe it's because you've never been taught, or maybe it's just in today's society where, where people tend to have this uh, this false bravery because they can sit behind their keyboard and say whatever they want, then whenever they enter into the reality of actual society, they think they can continue that type of behavior unharmed. That's not the way the world works. If you say some of the types of things that people say on the internet and you go and do that in the streets, you're probably going to get slapped, if not knocked out. So when it all comes down to it is I want to see out of this improved relations between players and fans, definitely not damage. And I, I think that's going to be the eventual direction that's going as the league continues to try to develop better safety for its players and for its fans in general. All right, Craig, final question for you. Um, good points, by the way, Zach. Uh, Craig, final question. Uh, you know, you, we've talked about the incidents just recently, with not, not this one in Utah, but other incidents with Russell Westbrook. You got Paul George, Patrick Beverly. I, what I feel is a, a friendly spat back and forth on Twitter after the loss in L.A. You've got a team in Oklahoma City that's not really been playing well since the All-Star break. Are you worried about distractions, Craig? I mean, is this just another distraction? Is this something that's going to damage the team long run by not letting them focus on, on the task at hand? Um, I, I don't think that's a, a, a huge concern. I mean, I, I said it you know, earlier with Russell Westbrook. I mean, he kind of thrives in that kind of environment. Um, as for you know, other guys, Paul George, he's got he, – I mean, he's very up and down. He's a, a streaky kind of guy. When he's, when he's good, he's good. When he's bad, he's, he's really bad. And so, to me, it'd be more of an issue of, of the Thunder just getting back to what you know, they've been known for, which is defense. And in my opinion, I, I really do not think that um, these outside distractions are going to harm that in any type of way. Um, like I said, Russ, to me, seems like the kind of guy that that's, that's already over with. He's going to pay this, this $25,000 fine, and then it's a done deal. Move on. Um, I, I will say it does open up the door for um, you know more fans to. I mean, now that they've seen that they can get a reaction from Russ, I mean he's definitely going to be tested far more than right. he's ever been. And uh, like I said, we've been able to see him kind of control that in the past, and so it will be key. And it'll be interesting to see you know how he handles that, whether he continues to engage with with fans or whether he just kind of shuts that down altogether. But um, to me, not overall concerned with uh, with with that kind of distraction. Zach and Craig, known as the Thunder Guys, you can find them on Twitter. They've also have their own podcast uh, that airs weekly. Zach, tell us real fast, how, how can people find you guys? Uh, we, we're actually uh, recently joining Overtime Media as well, their network. So you can uh, you can check us out on our, our on our Twitter. First of all, at the Thunder Guys, we stream uh, live video feed of our show every Monday night at six o'clock Central Time, and you can also check it out on. Uh, Let's see, on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, our show is Thunder Things with the Thunder Guys. And uh, we're, we're chatting up, you know, all, all the basic Thunder news, and then uh, we have some, some other interesting conversations that get thrown in there sometimes and everything from a little bit of college sports, some MMA every once in a while. So we try to keep it exciting. All right, uh, real fast, we're, here's how we're going to close out this segment. 
Uh, Rich, you've been quiet for a while. We'll start with you. You guys have 15 seconds. 15 seconds is your allotted time to answer the question. We'll go in order. We'll go Rich, Zach, Craig. Was this a worse reflection on the fans? Worse reflection on the players? Tell me why. Start with you, Rich. <laughs> Man, throw me to the wolves here. Uh, I'm going to say uh, I, I'm really – it's a toss-up for me, but I'm going to go players from the simple fact of they know they're walking into these volatile environments where where – all these different comments are going to be hurled upon them, and they've been tasked with containing themselves. Craig? No, Zach. Sorry, Zach. Uh, I'm going to agree with Rich. I think it looks worse than the players, specifically Russell Westbrook. Uh, regardless of what was said, and I, I honestly believe that the fans said some terrible things, um, players ha are held to a higher standard. They have to be ready, and moving forward, um, he needs to be more prepared for this type of situation. Craig? I, I hate to do this, but I also have to agree that it looks worse. On wow, the we have consensus. Um, I, I, I know, but uh, like like Rich and uh, Zach said, you got to be able to control yourself in those situations, regardless of what was said. Um, it's fine to talk to, to the fans. It's fine to go back and forth, but you have to be able to control what you're, what you're saying. And to me, that's why it looks worse on Russ. Craig and Zach, the Thunder guys, uh, thanks so much for your time, fellas, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for, having me. thanks for having me. All right, turning towards Oklahoma football, um, it, it's, it's spring balls in session, but Rich, the, the biggest news that come out for the Sooners since spring football started is the announcement that R.J. Proctor will be transferring from Virginia to Oklahoma. Suddenly, Oklahoma's line comes uh, grows from having just one returning starter, one player with with deep experience, to having um, to having two. Thoughts on uh, thoughts on R.J. Proctor coming up, as well as Oklahoma's pro day. Who has the most approved for the Sooners on the pro day? We also need to talk a little bit about softball and baseball. This is the Sooner Nation podcast, uh, the online podcast of Heartland Sports. One, addressing the offensive line, we know that Oklahoma is losing all but one starter from a year ago. This is an offensive line that took home the award as the best or most dominant offensive line. And there were some good ones that they were competing with. Now, we knew that depth, that experience more so was going to be a concern moving forwards as Oklahoma, under the direction of Bill Biedenboe, doesn't seem to have a problem in replacing guys. What they have a problem with is that experience level. How cohesive of a unit can it be? Who's really going to take ownership and be the leader of that unit and set the tone? I do think Creed Humphrey could carry that, but you bring in a guy like R.J. Proctor, and obviously this offensive line takes a step forward because of the experience that he possesses on the Division One level already. He's a guy, body strength-wise, he's there. He knows what to expect, the different stunts, the different moves that defenses are going to run at him in his general direction and how to counter those or how to effectively recover if he doesn't see it coming in initially again with rj proctor coming in you look at this what we're expecting offensively in these running backs and i think it only helps this offense really solidify their identity 
early on as they break in a guy like Jalen Hurts, as they break in a couple of these young receivers, they're going to be able to ride that running game and they're going to be able to continuously rely on it when some of these other things break down. As far as the pro day is concerned, Matt, it's, it's hard to think that this is a fathomable answer, but in reality, for me, Kyler Murray has the most to prove. All right, we're going to come back to that because I, we're going to disagree. But I, I want to go back to Proctor for just a second. Um, 36 game appearances at Virginia, 12 starts. Um, in, in the belt bow against um, South Carolina, he graded out as the, the top offensive player in pass pro, 85.7, and the third best in run blocking. And he played every offensive snap of the game. So I, I agree with what you're saying. I, there's no doubt in my mind Creed Humphrey is going to be the – the man on this offensive line. He's only going to be a redshirt sophomore. There's already talk that this could be it for him, that he could come out and be a first round draft pick in 2020. So, um, so I think, I think he's the, he's going to be the vocal leader, but I think a a guy with the, the leadership as far as just being in, in, in on a college campus for four years, playing in a different system and coming in those same type of the same type of qualities you look for in a guy like Jalen Hurts. I think the, the guys on the offensive line, not the entire team, but the guys on the offensive line are going to be able to look to R.J. Proctor for those type of things. Certainly doesn't doesn't hurt the situation at all that he has the ability to play just about every position along the line. So when Bill Biedenboe is looking at putting his best five guys uh, out there in that starting lineup, R.J. Proctor is going to fit in there wherever he's the strongest. I mean, you don't have to worry about whether he's left side or right side. You don't have to worry about whether he's tackle, which is what he played at Virginia, or whether he's the guard. Because he has the ability to do just about any position, it gives Bill Biedenboe the freedom to continue to look at guys that are on campus, that are that are getting uh, solid looks through the spring, because without Creed Humphrey playing in the spring, I mean, everyone's getting a look. But Bill Biedenboe doesn't have to try to figure out exactly where he's going to put R.J. Proctor because he has – I guess he has some some freedom there to, to slide Proctor where he needs him based on how the other guys perform in the spring. And I think it makes Biedenboe's job a little bit easier uh, when it comes time for putting together his best five for Houston, the Houston Cougars on October uh, – August? August. Why did I say October? On uh, August 31st, <laughs> listen to Sooner Nation, the online podcast of Heartland Sports. So, Rich, I, I want to go back to the uh, to the pro day. Um, hey, can I I'm, can I throw out some breaking news for you really quickly before absolutely. we get into this pro day? Yeah, I, I didn't, we like breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, but I just happened to see this because I, I typed something in a Google search bar, and a red bar all of a sudden comes down from the top of the screen, which catches your attention. Um, were you aware that Odell Beckham Jr. is now going to the Cleveland Browns? That's been a hot rumor all day long. Um, it's okay. it's It started with AFC North, uh, it just a, an AFC North team. They didn't say who it was, but an AFC North team uh, it has made a play for uh, Beckham. And then um, the Giants were in talks. And, and then it came out about – I don't know, maybe an hour and a half before we started recording that that team was the Cleveland Browns. Now, I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, no, no, no. As of 14 minutes ago, though, it's a done deal. 
Man, that's I mean, Baker's probably smiling wherever he is because I, mean, I know, had, right? <laughs> he already had a decent cast. You know, Jarvis Landry was, I, in my opinion, has always been an underrated receiver. Uh, right. But to add Odell Beckham Jr. to that uh, receiving core, Cleveland's going to make some noise. I mean, and when you look at you look at Pittsburgh, you know, obviously Le'Veon Bell wasn't on the team last year. Clearly, not going to be on the team this year. And then um, to to lose their, uh, you know, to lose Antonio Brown from that uh, that group as well. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, you know, they're usually – Pittsburgh's been the big dog. Baltimore's on the rise. But, man, Cleveland made noise last year. They they may make a push for the division this year uh, just depending on what they can do defensively and continue to build the offensive line for Baker Mayfield. Um, cool. That's Back great to news our for Baker. Yeah. Um, pro day talks. The, well, the, the pro day. Here, here's the thing. Here, here's what I um, – who has the most approved? I agree. I understand what you're saying about Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. uh, because he, even as after he weighed in and and ma- was measured uh, in Indianapolis at the at the combine, there were still doubters. Uh, I, I think he made the right choice to not throw, uh, to not run, do all that on your home turf. I mean, the, everybody's every this would be the largest pro day uh, that they've ever had at the University of Oklahoma, which is incredible when you think about Baker Mayfield and some of the other guys that have come out. Of, of Oklahoma and all the people that want to come, but there was just this mystique to Kyler Murray. Um, and to do all that on your home field, yeah, I mean, even though it's it's inside the Everest Center, still that's home field for you. So I, I think Kyler Murray definitely made the right decision. But I, I, look at, I look at the NFL draft, and I look at it in three different categories. I look at it as, as those guys who know for sure they're going to get drafted. And Oklahoma has has – a good number of them. And then you look at those guys who are going to get drafted. Like, I don't know, are, are they a top four? Typically if you're in a, in the top four rounds, you get guaranteed money. Right. So then you, you then you start thinking, okay, these guys are going to get drafted. Are these guys going to be top four rounds? That's where people like Bobby Evans and so forth come into play. But then you've got that whole other group of guys that the question mark is, are they going to get drafted at all? And see, I think that's where those guys have more to prove than a guy like Cody Murray or Cody Ford or, or Juice Samia, because we know they're going to get drafted. Kyler Murray's probably going to be the number one draft pick, not because of what he does Wednesday morning in Norman. He's going to be the number one draft pick because Cliff Kingsbury wants him. And, and, and Kyler Murray has to have the right fit in the NFL. You, you can't take a guy who's going to, be your prototypical six five strong arm pocket passing quarterback and try to put Kyler Murray into that system. You need a guy who has a good marriage with Kyler Murray, and that's going to be Cliff Kingsbury. He 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 coached him at Texas A&M. He played against him as the head coach at Texas Tech. These guys are two peas in a pod. That's why he'll be the number one pick, not because of what he's going to do tomorrow. He's just going to solidify that position. But what about a guy like Rodney Anderson, who's coming off like a a major, you know, another well, three season, season ending yeah, injury. Yeah, another season ending injury. How big is pro day for him tomorrow? What, what does he have to prove? He's going to get drafted, but can he be top four? Can he get in the top four rounds? What about a guy like uh, like Carson Meyer, Curtis Bolton, Miles Tease, Marcellus Sutton? Those guys are fighting just to get drafted, to have a chance as a, as a draft pick. I mean, it's it's better to be a seventh-round draft pick than an undrafted free agent. Those are the guys, in my opinion, who have more to prove. See, I, I can get on board with a lot of those names. It's extremely difficult 
if you're going to be an evaluator and you're going to look at a guy like Rodney Anderson and you're going to grade him on a pro day, I, I don't know that Rodney Anderson has a ton to gain from a pro day. Yes, I get that he didn't participate in drills, the NFL Combine. Yes, I get that he's had three season-ending injuries, but when you look at it, one day doesn't tell a team how durable you are. The seasons that you played on the collegiate level do. And the biggest knock for Rodney Anderson is going to continuously be his durability. Is he going to get drafted? I believe he's one heck of a talent that a team will take a chance on him, but they want to get him at the right price. They want to get him at the right point of the draft. And then if durability becomes an issue, they don't have too much money tied up in a guy who has shown a propensity to be injured in his collegiate days. Rodney Anderson, a great talent, Matt. I get where you're coming from and saying some of these guys have a lot to prove, but I think when you look at the top of the pecking order here, the reason I go with Kyler Murray is because his draft day, his his pro day, excuse me, can mean the difference of millions of dollars. Oh, I get that. I, I'm not I'm not denying or arguing that, but <laughs> but at the end of the day, Kyler Murray is going to walk out of the Everest Center knowing that someone's going to draft him in the first round, most likely top ten, most likely number one overall. He's going to know that. What about Curtis Bolton? Does Curtis Bolton know that right now? And then, see, that's the no, guy I'm saying no, is someone who has has the most approved because I'm not I'm not convinced that Curtis Bolton was in a position to be to be used for the best of his capabilities. Now, physically, I think he's got everything there, but you know, he think about what he did special teams. Think about what he did, you know, for that defense and and the number of tackles and the records and, and all that stuff. But his career really is defined by, by one season. You're talking about Rodney. Anderson. Exactly. I, I, I get it, but Curtis Bolton is going to have the opportunity to show he knows some X's and O's. He's going to have the opportunity where maybe maybe scouts haven't had a chance to look at his film, what's out there, and, and maybe if a scout can put him, move him over or move him out, move him somewhere else. I, th I think a guy like that has a lot more to prove tomorrow than a guy like Kyler Murray. So that's why I'm going to go with, with Curtis Bolton. I think Carson Meyer is the same way. I mean, Carson Meyer has that ability to be a long – standing kind of like Aaron Rupkowski, you know, in at Green Bay. He has the ability to, to be a an under the radar type of player who has a long NFL career as a blocker and a guy who you gotta you you can't let him go out of the backfield or he's up to seam with the ball in his hands, you know, for a 30, 40 yard reception. Guys like that, I mean, I I really feel like there's there's a potential for those guys to have lengthy NFL careers kind of flying under the radar um i feel like there's a lot more in the line for them tomorrow and and that's just why i'm picking them over a guy like kyler murray that's just difference of opinion you know what i'm saying i do know what you're saying we're just going to continue to agree to disagree and like i said it really comes from that money standpoint if i had to go with a different guy if you didn't want me to pick kyler murray i was going to go with a guy didn't cody ford have a a Pretty dismal performance on the on the bench press at the combine. He attributed it to a shoulder injury. Well, but see, not I, I, was it him? I, I think um, I I think Here, the only reason I'm asking that is because it looks like a repeat performance. You know, we had Orlando well, Brown who, who didn't exactly have the greatest of showings. Right. 
Yeah, he didn't have the greatest of showings in the measurables and began to drop down that draft board to where Baltimore picks him up at an absolute steal. He becomes a starter as a rookie in the NFL and holds his own, whereas a lot of people are saying eh, he, he doesn't have the measurables. I think Cody Ford could also gain a lot in terms of money, not in what he's actually capable of. Because one thing that I'll, I'll say about Cody Ford is his ability um, to at least block on running plays has elevated him to a completely new level when it comes to this draft. And I know that's extremely, extremely valuable in the NFL, especially his ability to absorb double teams and continue to work. So I see the product on the field. The NFL sees those measurements and, and somewhere you have to find this happy medium. So like I said, Cody Ford is, is a guy that I would have picked had I not said Kyler Murray as a guy who could potentially improve his stock the most when it comes to this specific NFL draft. Yeah, I, I think uh, Orlando Brown's success in Baltimore is only going to help Cody Ford. Um, I, I think yeah, let's that, hope so. Uh, well, I just I just feel like people people saw like speed last year. You know, Baker, Baker Mayfield even came out and tweeted after the combine. You know, an offensive lineman is never going to sprint 40 yards downfield. You know, oh, yeah, so they're not getting the ball and being asked to run through a gap. It, uh, exactly. <laughs> so, so things like that. I think maybe I, I don't think Cody Ford is in danger of of slipping. I really don't. I, I think he's going to be a first-round no, pick, early second round. And so I don't know that there's a lot there. I, I mean, we, we could go on and on about this, uh, but I think we're we're really kind of approaching it from from two different angles, which is okay. I mean, that's just mm – -hmm. that's that's what we do. That's why we have the podcast. Um, I do want to just get a couple of uh, updates on spring football. There's not a lot of news, but I want to get a couple of updates He's Rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast, Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com is where you can find us on the web. Rich, uh, you know, I said earlier that uh, Sam Proctor's decision, Sam Proctor, wow, uh, RJ right. Proctor's uh, decision to come to Oklahoma is the biggest news to come out of Norman right now on the football front. But a couple other things, defensively, it seems like you know, we, we've talked ex extensively about the mindset of this defense and the things that these players uh, need to change about themselves and the physicality in which they play with. It seems like, you know, it's spring ball. So everyone looks like an all pro in spring ball, but it seems like at least there's a good, there's good chemistry between Grinch and the defense and the, they, they've responded well to their new leader. And, you know, there, you see them in snippets of highlights when they, they get a turnover, they're absolutely celebrating the term turnovers. And there's no doubt that I, I believe that Grinch has done a good job at instilling that mentality within them that we, we want the ball. We, we need to get it back. The other, the other, only thing, other thing I want to mention about spring football right now is that um, freshman receiver, the freshman receivers, definitely looking the part with the bridges almost looking like he's a he's a sophomore or junior in college instead of a, an incoming freshman who just got on campus uh, less than six weeks ago um the, the freshman receivers are looking the part it's going to be interesting to watch this battle through the spring and then into summer um you know you know right right after we um 
right after we recorded last week, A.D. Miller made the decision, or it was announced that A.D. Miller was coming back uh, to be a part of this receiving team for his senior year. Uh, this is going to be fun to watch how the chemistry develops with these receivers, but also what Lincoln Riley and company decide to do as far as red shirts and how much playing time these guys are going to get. I'd be willing to bet you right now, Rich, that all four of the all, all three of these receivers uh, get to play their four games on, under the new red shirt rule. I would absolutely agree with it. And it's one of the benefits or maybe one of the downsides of that new rule um, downside, because if you were a player previously, <laughs> you didn't get that. Um, but you look at the talent that's coming in with this current 2019 class, specifically at that wide receiver position. And you have to ask yourself, I, I think you would have to be extremely creative, Matt, to come up with a reason that none of them stepped onto the field this year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. There well, there's their need. You need at least one, maybe two of them. I mean, you need them because when when you look at your depth, right, that's what I'm saying. You know, guy Calcaterra, you know, you you've got Rambo, you've got Lamb. That's three. You're three deep, but Oklahoma likes to throw four or five receivers out there. So, you're going to need at least two of them I I feel like to not just be on the field but to be solid contributors. Right. Absolutely agree. Well, um, anything else you want to chime in on spring football? No, um, you know, the only thing I'll add to it is obviously Oklahoma released the schedule, kind of the rundown of, of how the spring game is going to work. I know a lot of people are going to clamor towards or at least at the opportunity to witness this Oklahoma football team. But Matt, you and I talked about it last week. Don't expect a ton of fireworks. Expect to see the freshmen if that's what you're going for. By all means, let us know how that goes. I don't know if, if you're going this year, Matt. I don't know if I'm going. Haven't really made plans at this point. Yeah, well, I can tell you I'm not even going to be uh, in Oklahoma. So uh, so I will not be there. <laughs> but I'll, I'll be willing to read about it and hear about it. But uh, I won't be there to cover it, um, to see it firsthand. But whatever. It's just a spring game. So, um, And I, I agree. I mean, if you're going to see Jalen Hurts, uh, you, you better get there very early. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And let's hope it's not as cold as oh, it was man, last it was year. But nonetheless, it was miserable. you know, Oklahoma's always upping the ante. What I'm more interested in with the spring game um, I, is is really the recruiting efforts that are going right. to revolve around that spring game. So it's always interesting to see what Oklahoma does, especially under Lincoln Riley as they begin to change that format. I don't know they've cemented themselves Again, they're carrying a second year of the same format, it would appear, at least early on here until we know more of those details. But again, uh, the recruiting efforts through the spring are going to dominate the headlines. So it's always a bigger storyline, if you're asking me to follow, than what's actually happening on the field. Well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I mean, look, look how how well that weekend panned out for them last year and, and into this recruiting class that they just signed for 2019. Uh, and I would expect it to be the same. You know, it, there's been a lot of talk on Twitter and on social media about the concert and all that stuff. And the concert's just to get the fans there. The, the kids that are coming in for recruiting could care less about the concert. They're not there for the concert. They're there to see the facilities. They're there to talk to coaches. They're there to see academic advisors. But here's what here's where the concert comes to play. Um, they're there to see fans. And you, if Oklahoma gets 40, 50,000 people in that stadium for the spring game, that's going to make a massive impression 
on these recruits. And that's why Oklahoma does stuff like that uh, in the spring game. I, I could care less. I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. I, I didn't, I was, I was actually disappointed. I got there in time to see the concert last year. Oh, I, come that, on, I Matt. Do, no, seriously, man. I just, I, I wanted to see football and you're right. It was miserable. I was so cold. Um, I was, it was not fun for me. Um, we got to wrap it up here. Um, for the Student Nation podcast, a couple of quick things. Big 12 basketball tournament getting ready to get underway. Oklahoma, West Virginia, nightcap Wednesday night. Um, TCU, Oklahoma State first. Oklahoma, we, we've talked about 20 wins all season long, Rich. We, we said that that's the that's the marker. I believe they're in the tournament as it is. I mean, I, I think if they if they lose to West Virginia, it maybe hurts seeding wise, but it doesn't kick them out of the tournament. But man, you you could definitely put the nail in that coffin, so to speak, by beating West Virginia. This is absolutely a winnable game for the Sooners. The question is, is it a must-win game? I don't think that it is, to be honest with you. And the reason being is, I I. And I know I went back and forth, so it may be confusing you here, Matt, but I said it earlier on that if Oklahoma could win one of the two final games of the regular season, that it would punch their ticket. Otherwise, they would need a win in the Big 12 tournament, and I'm not talking about just over West Virginia. They would have to be looking at, at, at an upset, essentially, in that second round of the tournament. However, Oklahoma did get one of those wins. I do believe they punched their ticket. I don't think this is a, a must-win game. Is it a winnable game? Yes. Yeah, I, I see. I, I just feel like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this in two different angles, okay? I don't believe, like you, I don't believe it's a must-win game for them to get into the NCAA tournament. But what I do I believe – oh, I don't think it changes their seeding. No, I do. I absolutely – I think if you lose to the worst team in the Big 12, it changes your seeding. I absolutely I, I think they're a 10 one way or the other. Nah, see, I can't get on board with that. We'll find they're out. They're in at I, a 10 or they're not in at a 10. That, there's only I mean, two options. Nah, I, I, see, again, I, I think we're going to agree to disagree on this. I think it's a must-win game from the standpoint of when you look at Long Kruger's track record in Kansas City, it's not been pretty at the Big 12 tournament. And then also this, team's in a, this team is in a postseason funk. When you look at the NCAA tournament last year, you look at the um, – the the Big 12 tournament performances, the, this this game because Texas Tech's waiting on the on the other side of it. No one's expecting them to beat Texas Tech, but beating West Virginia will allow you to go into postseason with some momentum. And I feel like that's huge for this team because you can still get a decent draw at a 10 seed that puts you in a position to pull off an upset in the first round. And then from there, you know, you just you, you let, kind of let momentum build. But um, I think it's a big game. I think it's it's a it's a win that that Oklahoma, if they get to twenty, suddenly it, it goes from a disappointing season to a a good season, considering that they lost Trey Young last year, right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that it was ever a disappointing season, as I fully. Oh no, it, it was definitely. It was definitely. Matt, a disappointing I thought season. I thought this it was a rebuilding year. This was yeah, a rebuilding at, year year for me. I, I I get that, but see, when you look at the way the season started. And you get the big wins, you know, up Northwestern and all that stuff. You look at the way it started, and then you look at the, how they just kind of nosedive for a little bit in conference play. To come back around and be in the position for 20 wins, it gives you a good feeling and momentum. Whereas, yeah, it's a rebuilding season, but to get to 20 wins and to get in the NCAA tournament, to advance in the Big 12 tournament, all those things play big, big roles for recruiting and your momentum going into next year. 
They do. You're right. And the season started with a bang. We definitely had a letdown there in the middle of the season. But again, it, it followed the same format that it did last year. You had you started the season with a bang. You have a lull in the middle and then a little bit of an uptick at the end. Oklahoma gets into the tournament. Like I said, I thought this was a rebuilding year. I had labeled it as such because we didn't have that star. We didn't have essentially a leader of this team, if you will. I thought Christian James could have filled that role, and he did early on, and Oklahoma had a lot of success. But now at the back end, we're seeing Christian Doolittle take over that role. And again, Oklahoma starting to have some success. Again, if I went back to the beginning of the season and before we ever touched the court with the ball for an actual game, I would have said this team has no leader. It's a rebuilding year. <laughs> and I, I'm sticking well, to my guns on this one, Matt. I don't think it's a okay. disappointing season at 19 wins. I don't think it's a disappointing season at 17 wins. Now, sub-15 may have surprised me. I, I, yeah, I mean, again, I, I, par, par for the course for, for this episode, we're going to agree to disagree there because, again, I feel like – I feel like, I, I feel like okay. that – You can be wrong. That, <laughs> that 20-win 20, that 20 mark – it's so critical, I feel like, to a college. It's like the 10-win mark in college football. I mean, really, you, you, you gauge success because only one team is going to win the championship. And, and more than half of the teams in the, in the NCAA, you know, have a chance to make some sort of postseason run, whether it's the NIT, the CBA, or CBI, whatever it's called, and then the, uh, the NCAA tournament. So everyone's playing postseason, it seems like, this, these, these days. But in college football, it's that 10-win mark. If you get to 10 wins, that, that's a big deal for your football program because everyone goes to a bowl game, right? Well, in the NCAA, that 20-win mark, that, that's the mark. That's what you shoot for, 20 or better, and that's what's on the, on the line Wednesday night in Kansas City against the West Virginia Mountaineers. Um, we got to wrap it up real fast. Talk about some spring sports. Baseball, thirteen and three right now as we're recording. They are uh, playing UTA, uh, leading two to nothing at the end of the second inning. Um, impressive weekend performance by the Sooners, Rich. Because we we talked about this that when, when I I think it was even last week was that with this with this baseball team, the goal was going to be to get on them early, try to beat that Friday night starter and see if that didn't put them through like a little bit of a weekend struggle. Well, that's exactly what Rice did last weekend in Houston. They beat they beat the Friday night starter, but then Oklahoma comes back and wins a, slug, a slugfest on, on Saturday, and then Sunday, Prater pitches an, you know, an eight-inning shutout, you know, striking out nine, nine batters, Big 12 pitcher of the week this week. Huge performance for Oklahoma last weekend because of the fact that they were able to come back and win a series after losing the first game on Friday night. That's not something that this, this program has been able to do uh, for the last several years. Right. Um, it's a, a testament really not only to the talent that sits on the roster, but the developments of that talent. Yes, I know we're in the first year of a new head coach, but he's been with the program for more than just that second year. Yeah, second year. Is that what you just said to me? Um, That's exactly well, what it, I just said to you. <laughs> good, good. I, I heard it, but it, it didn't comprehend. Uh, needless to say, you're like I said, you're looking at the development of these players and more specifically the pitching staff. Matt, you and I have talked about it constantly, how we had some good starting 
starters on the weekend. But when we got to that Sunday, it, it took a significant drop. And if Oklahoma dropped one of those first two games on the weekend, it was extremely difficult to say that Oklahoma could come back in a rubber match and actually take the series from an opponent. So the fact that they were able to, again, fall behind, come back, win that series, it's just a testament to this coaching staff and the ability of what they're doing on the field in terms of development with these players. Yeah, I agree. And and moving moving across the street to the softball complex, uh, the Sooners are 20-3 and three on the season now. Um, <laughs> Number two in the nation. Why is that funny? They're not twenty and three. They're twenty and They're two. Twenty and two. I know. I it's, know. That's why not, I, I'm laughing because you said across the street. I'm like, man, if that's across the street. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. It's like the field. it's like around the corner and, and oh, it's not that a couple far. of you, stones you throws walk, away. You, you could walk it in five minutes. No, no, sir. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're going to test like, it in Norman. Okay, we're going to test it. I'm going to drop you I off. Feel, I'm going to wait for you. Okay. I feel a bet coming on. You, you drop me off at the, uh, at the entrance at the, at the baseball park. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I can be, I will walk to the entrance. No of the running softball. that no running. I, I will walk to the entrance of the softball complex in five minutes. Okay. Deal. Deal. It, it's on. I'll, I'll be home Deal. in two weeks. Deals for real. So yeah. I'm, we're I'm doing like, it. Going. Just like, just like the field goal you're on. <laughs> All right. Um, and when you Oklahoma, embarrass yourself. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. See, you don't want to go down there because somewhere I still have video of that field goal incident. Um, okay. <laughs> Oklahoma currently riding a 10-game winning streak. Uh, they're heading to L.A. for the last uh, big tournament before conference play starts. Um, you know, one of the things we've talked about was uh, with the conference slate getting ready to start up, Oklahoma only has one series one full series in Norman in Big 12 play. Now, they'll, they'll get one of the Bedlam games in Norman. But, um, you know, this is a big weekend for Oklahoma. Because of the 10-game winning streak, they come home to play North Texas. And then they're off to Lubbock for Texas Tech to start conference play. Oklahoma, they're going to play like five games out in California this weekend. Um, then that then they, that sixth game against North Texas, they had the chance to go in to uh, conference play riding the 16-game winning streak. The, the flip side of that, I, you know, you and I talked off the air just through text messaging about Oklahoma being number two in the country. And you said you're a little bit surprised by that with their, their two losses already. But, I mean, think about what, what Patty Gasso is doing and, and, and go back to our earlier conversations about this team and the pitching staff. And if you remember, I said Patty Gasso is trying to figure out exactly how she's going to use these pitchers and that this is probably the deepest pitching staff rotation that she's had uh, in maybe ever at Oklahoma. But now you have officially have three Oklahoma pitchers who have been named the Big 12 Pitcher of the Week. And she, she's got three ladies that can go in that circle against anybody and, and be successful. And she's proven that. I I think you're going to kind of start seeing this weekend in Los Angeles about how we're going to – I think the experiments are coming to an end. I think you're about to see exactly how she's going to set this rotation for like a um, – you know, going into Lubbock and, and starting conference play with a three-game weekend series. Yeah, if if I had to place money on a table today, I would say that you're, you're obviously looking at G. Juarez as a starter. I think – you use a rotation of the two, Mariah Lopez, 
starter as well. And then Shannon Sale will come in as a closer for this team. I think she has the fastest arm of the mm-hmm. three pitchers. I can't verify that for you because I haven't actually sat and watched when I've been to the games. Matt, I've seen all three pitchers at this point in time live and in person, but I haven't actually watched any kind of tracking on the speed of these these throwers. Needless to say, that's just my guess at it. When I'm looking at Oklahoma and Patty Yasso and her tactics, I do have to agree with you. The experimentation is coming to an end. Why Texas Tech, I don't know if you knew this, they're the number 13 team in the country. The Big 12 is well represented within the top 25 this year. Oklahoma State, Texas, and Oklahoma, as well as Texas Tech, the four teams from the Big 12. And we could even see Baylor climb into that top 25 this year. So the Big 12 is going to be absolutely loaded. It's going to be a fun conference portion to the schedule. It's just unfortunate we don't get get to see but one series. Yeah, you're right. Um, and, and, you know, I called it in. It's it's not like it was a, a stepping out of ledge or anything, but um, Oklahoma softball sold out for the rest of the season. So if you don't have a ticket, you're not Whoa. getting there. You need to start you need to start looking at uh, regionals and stuff like that, how you can get a ticket if you want to see this team. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This has been the Sooner Nation podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find us online, heartland-sports.com. That's heartland-sports.com. Also, you can pick us up um, on Twitter at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.